Welcome to the From Little Things podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kenizaro, and together on this show, we'll speak with Aussie small business owners, founders, and entrepreneurs to share their stories and learn from those who have been on the journey from little things and beyond, so we can make it easier for you to succeed in business and life. From Little Things is brought to you by Papera, the all-in-one solution that makes business easy for Aussie sole traders, company directors, and small business owners. You can learn more and get started for free at papera.com. Good morning, Alicia. How are you going? Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today on our 10th episode of From Little Things. Um, as we start every show, I'd love to ask you just to introduce yourself and share a bit about you. Awesome. Okay. One of the hardest questions to answer. Ask me anything about funnels and marketing and my business, but what's 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 a bit about me? I think what's usually most relevant for these podcasts is kind of like the origin story or how I got into business, right? Like what, what am I doing here and, and what am I up to? And so when I was younger, I grew up in a small country town called Denali. It's um, got under 800 people. It's got a pub. And then you exit the pub into the cemetery. We've got some silos, no traffic lights, very small. And so I went to high school in the nearest town over. And um, as they do, my the insights that I was given into what careers I could pursue were teaching or nursing. And I was like, okay, fine. And so when I finished school, I thought I would go into dentistry. So I, I got accepted into that, but I ended up having this gap year. And in this gap year, I worked in a call center and was introduced to this business world. And I was like, this is pretty good. I was doing cold calling for Origin Energy, never paid a bill in my life, um, <laughs> but I was really good at it. And, and I wasn't there too long and I was training people and writing scripts in this like big um, call center of like 200 people, often in, like pretty much always in the top 10 reps. And I bloody loved it. And I was like, oh, what's this business thing all about? So I ended up doing a, a marketing and business degree, which was relatively useless. Um, but I worked full time during uni in an, in an agency and I worked in sales for a bit. And so when I finished uni, I went and worked in this company called King Kong. They're a Melbourne-based company and I was one of the first employees there. And a few months in, they gave me the opportunity to build a team from scratch, which was in sales funnels and conversion rate optimization. So I built this team from scratch at 23 and a few years later I wrapped up there and I had done 400 different funnels and landing pages. Everything from Brazilian butt lift doctors or porn addiction <laughs> counselors, like quit smoking hypnotists to like normal stuff like Metricon and finance and tradies and everything on this spectrum. And so I wrapped up there and I went and started a company called Founder, Founder Magazine. They're a Melbourne-based brand as well to do the same thing, build their sales funnel and conversion team and launch seven and eight figure courses. But it was in this time, um, my partner and I started this thing called Operation Freedom. Okay. And we would go away every quarter and we would like plan our lives and what we wanted to do. And we started side hustling. And then one day we were like, effort, let's stop making excuses. Let's quit and let's figure it out. So like we weren't stupid. We had six months of savings each and yeah. our side in income had um, replaced our main income because that makes it sound like we weren't very planned because we were super planned, but we were making excuses. And we started our business journey. And so we originally started something called Ecom Email Experts. And if you can't figure out what we did, I can't help you because it's pretty obvious in the name. Very specific, and we yeah. very specific, very smart of us. And um, 
we we didn't love that. So a few months later, we transformed into persuasion experience. And now we're just heading into our third year of persuasion experience. Congratulations. And uh, that is that is one of the best intros I would say we've had, not to uh, discredit any of the previous episodes, but it's, you've definitely set a high bar. I love the energy and enthusiasm. Um, so much to dive into there. So um, maybe let's go back to teenage years looking to um, become a dentist, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you spoke about the uh, the role at the call center. Uh, did you ever think you would enjoy sales? I didn't even know what it was. And even when I was doing the call, and even when I was at the call center, I didn't like, I didn't have this, I think that's why I really loved it. I didn't have a yeah. preconceived notion of what sales was. So I didn't have this thing where I was like, ew, sales, that's gross. To me, it, it was problem solving. And even after that, I, work, I worked in JB Hi-Fi in the telco department. So I'd rock up every weekend, go and do sales. I was like the only chick there, only part-time but doing sales. And I'd come in, hit my targets every time. And even then I wasn't like sales, yeah, sales bro stuff. It was like, oh, I'm just here to help people solve problems and make commission. Like, And, th- and that was it. It was like, how can I help you? That's really cool. And I think what's what's really interesting that comes through there is, is um, as you say, like a lot of people get stuck on the stigma associated with doing something, but you're driven purely by the outcome of um, helping people and hopefully the commissions as well. It seems we're a good incentive. But um, the um, so I, I feel like every time I do one of these episodes, I disclose a little bit more about my past as well, but I actually worked in a call center as well. And um, yeah. uh, the Foxtel call center uh, in my team. And um and what I found through that experience is that you really get to meet all sorts of different people that call through. Um, I was in inbound calls as opposed to outbound, so it was more service and sales. But um, what did some of those early experiences teach you about um, selling to people and, and just dealing with people generally? Um, what did they? I, and this this only is there upon reflection. I wasn't like some 19, 20-year-old or Zen studying Zig Ziglar and understood sales, right? <laughs> this is like upon reflection. But... Um, and this is how like I train people now because I, I I help a lot of people with their sales, especially women. But I just, it's sales is servitude. That's it. Sales is problem solving. And it's just like how I do my sales in my agency now. There will be two outcomes from this call. Either we can work together and you're a good fit and we'll we'll collaborate and see if we should work together. Or you won't be a good fit. And I'm going to make sure that you leave this conversation more valuable and more informed than when you came in. And so, like, what did I learn or what did I figure out? Number one, be a normal human person. And as soon as you, like, think that you're going into, like, you're going to be a salesperson, you come across that way. And I call it that commission breath. Like, you start to, like, <sighs> buy my shit. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> and even in the journey of this business, if I've gone too hardcore watching some Grant Cardone or something and, like, gone, like, yeah, sales, let's do it. And I go into the call to be, like, a salesperson it doesn't feel right. And like, I don't, I don't make the sale because I'm not showing up as my best self. And really like I treat sales as like a consult consultative approach. Like how can I help this person and is the outcome that they pay me to help them? Let's find out. That's, that's also like another really interesting point. So when you, when you start a business, there's often this um, urgency to generate some revenue, as you mentioned before, like you had a, a side hustle and you made that transition. Well, I'd love to unpack that transition point a little bit more, uh, a little bit later in the discussion. But um, how do you personally manage yourself when it comes to the urgency of you want to make that sale? Um, so you default to sales breath, as you said, um, <laughs> but controlling the pace of that discussion. So you actually keep it as an actual discussion. Did you have to train yourself to get into the mode of 
slowing yourself down to avoid that or do you find you've just got a natural ability to to avoid it? Yeah, it's interesting, right, because as a business owner, you get that scarcity mindset, especially when you're starting and you'll sell anything. And I've and I've and I've done that, but I did genuinely think I could help them. I've never sold somebody where I was like, hey, give me your money. I and and this part of the the journey in business is that you you prototype who's your right client market fit and what's the best problem to solve. So I have brought on the wrong fit clients, but I've like probably just had to gold plate and give way too much value away. So anyway, back to your question, how do you like avoid that, right? And so maybe it's lucky that I've done sales in the past that to me, this like I enjoy the sales part, but I know most business owners hate it. And so when I'm coaching and training people on the sales process, one of the things that I just get people to remember is to always be the buyer, right? Never the seller. And so when I speak with clients, I want them to sell me on why I should work with them just as much as it's I'm going to do it the other way around because I believe that we're entering a business partnership. Um, you know, I'm not going to be your waitress. I'm your strategist. I'm going to help you make more money. I like, I've got one life on this planet. Convince me why I should work with you. And it's not all like um, obnoxious like that, but it's like, hey, I'll be very open. This is why I think we might not be a good fit. What do you think? Do you think we're going to be a good fit? So yeah, how do you avoid that um, scarcity mindset? Just know that what you say yes to, you say no to something else and always have a pipeline. And then you don't have that scarcity mindset. That's really cool. Um, so, and, and I'm really excited to get into like the whole part of the transition to the business, but I want to unpack a little bit more about the journey before we get there, because I think there are some cool learnings along the way that you can share. Even like even your early experience around going from uh, thinking about dentistry to then into sales and learning about business. So you you found this new love for business. Did you ever think you'd be a business owner at that point when you were working in your earlier days of sales? No, never. I don't have that um, classic story of I was a bad student and I was flipping candy at school and I dropped out of college and made a twenty billion dollar tech firm. Like, and that's and that's like when I was younger. And maybe part of it's coming from the country. I don't know, but they were the they were the entrepreneurs. That's what I saw, and I was like, oh well, that's not me. I don't fit that mold. And so I never, ever, ever thought I would be an entrepreneur. I thought I would, I always had high ambitions for myself, but I thought I might be like a CEO of someone else's company. And so like the really big thing that like happened of why we started the business or why I figured out that I needed to start my own business was through that operation freedom and becoming financially literate. So I grew up oldest of four kids, single mum, Centrelink. I wasn't financially literate. I was always taught you know, credit cards are the devil and pay your bills first and always have a job. And those like, and I like, you know, the, I think good, good scripts. Yeah. Risk aversion. You have when you're, when you're working through that kind of situation. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so it wasn't until I actually got financially literate in my earlier twenties, maybe like by 23, 24, 25. And I had my systems and I was investing money and I was making good six figures like I had gone quick in my career, right? Like uh, by 25, 26, maybe making like six figures. Um, but I realized that I was in the slow lane for wealth creation. And I knew, I, I know my numbers. I know what is financial freedom. And I was like, bloody hell, the only way I'm going to get there fast is to start my own business. And I was like, okay, well, you can start side hustling. And, um, and now I'm doing it. I am so good at it. Like, and that sounds a bit obnoxious, right? But I was like, I'm bloody good at this. And people like me can run 
great businesses. And I just make sure that we optimize for our North Star metric, which is freedom and not the ego or not what we see other people doing. Because it's very easy to get that shiny object syndrome, isn't it? When you're building a business, you're like, oh, shit, that looks cool. Should I try that? I completely empathize and um, have been through similar realizations in my own journey. But um, and I, and I would love to really just double click on that moment. You, you mentioned two really interesting things there. So one was um, the financial literacy part, and I just want to dig into how did you um, realize you had a financial literacy problem, and two, how did you educate yourself? Um, you know, it, it doesn't sound like it was let's go do a finance degree or let's go and you know. I don't, you know subscribe to something what did you do so i i don't know if i like realized i had a financial literacy problem but um because i was really good at saving like I, i'm not stupid with money because of the background so i'm like i had savings and i just didn't have a system to it and really what got me into it was um my boyfriend at the time who's my partner and is my co-founder in the agency he was really into it he's like oh you've got to learn this yeah. <laughs> go read this and I'm like bad with numbers like I'm good with talky talk I can write things okay numbers my brain just dies I was like oh it's a bit boring but um I started just reading everything I could um MJ DeMarco I read one of Tony like Tony Robinson's books I read a lot of Dan Kennedy on wealth management um uh, I read The Barefoot Investor, which I thought would be lame, but was actually really good. I read I read Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Those two books were like my introduction. And then I started learning about the FIRE community, Financially yep. Independent Retire Early, and I started listening to all of the podcasts. Um, and I started to figure out what does money mean to me? Like why, why do I want money? And I had to have this, because you know how we have all these invisible scripts running our life, right? So one of the ones that I had to rewrite was that money was evil and rich people are bad and yep. wanting money is a is a bad thing. And that's something that I think I've basically stamped out now. I think, you know, who knows what's going on in my subconscious. But um, yeah, that's like the biggest thing I had to stamp out. But it sounds like uh, along that journey, you changed the why you do what you do. Um, and through some self-reflection and, and self-education and awareness, you've, you've now found like a really clear purpose to pursue. Um, yeah. So the second interesting part about about that last piece of the conversation was um, you, you speak about Operation Freedom. Um, but was there like an inflection point at home where you and your partner were like, you know, we're doing really well? Like what, what launched Operation Freedom? We've both always been obsessed with it as in like freedom and like what does that mean to us? And probably the seed that went into our mind would have been like living in Bali. Like how could we live from Bali? You know, everyone's a little seed. Yeah. yeah, the digital nomad type thing. And so our first step of freedom was starting the business. We knew we knew that the vehicle to freedom would be having our own business. There's just no way that we could get freedom of time and place financially and who we work with unless we controlled that and, and we had that full autonomy over our lives. Then the second stage of Operation Freedom was selling all our shit last April, packing our lives into a suitcase and start, and we just travel in perpetuity now. So I'm in Melbourne at the moment because I'm turning 30 it's next been- week and then we've got a few other milestones. <laughs> Thank you, I made it. And we've got a few other milestone birthdays. But we travel full time now and after we've been in, in Melbourne for a few months, we're going to head back to Italy and then Portugal and I don't know where else. But, um, yeah, like that's that's freedom to us. And now 
we're living our dream life. We have to keep checking in. Okay. I am successful when, and we have a list and it's like, well, what are we missing? What else do we need? And really like the, the big thing now is profits and wealth creation. That's the big drive this year and moving forward. That's amazing. Um, and again, congratulations, not just on turning 30 next week, but uh, on the journey <laughs> itself. There's a deep level of, um, you know, a deep level of investment of your time that's gone into learning and education. And uh, it's clearly very much stuff driven as well, which I think is a really important attribute to have if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Um, I, I will get into the business in a moment, but just one last thing on the financial literacy piece. Uh, are there any tools that you use that help you um, track your money, uh, make sense of it all, um, manage your investments? Mm -hmm. So our motto is what gets measured gets improved. So I have a spreadsheet and I, and I, again, I bloody hate it. My partner, he's reading like the financial news and he's in spreadsheets. He loves it. So just so you know, if you're thinking about this, like it sounds like a chore, it is. I had to figure out what a hidden number was. I had to figure out how to invest, but I just keep it super like so simple index funds. That's it. So the tools that I use, spreadsheet, track it every month. Um, I like the dopamine hit to seeing my net worth growing because that's yeah. it. It's like that encourages me to keep on investing. Then I have a little calculator that shows me um, how close I am to like these different levels of financial. I've got like, I think it's like financially independent, financially free, like bona fide rich or something. I can't remember the levels, but there's like these levels and the percentages grow every week that I track it. And then I use self-wealth and um, CMC as my stock portfolios. And I use a tool called Nevexa for tracking my portfolio as well. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. And um, this is all really helpful stuff because I'm, I know a lot of our listeners do care about this as well. And um, there's, there's really, it's really hard to know what to use and what to do. Um, what about for your business? Is there anything that you, like how do you handle your business finances uh, with the rest of the, the uh, investments that are going on? Well, your business is another investment, right? Yes, exactly. And we see that the business and ourselves are our biggest investment. And so you touched on before, like learning and upskilling. Every day, without a doubt, I have like my schedule. I pre-plan every month what I want to learn and what skills I'm missing to be a bit, bit of business owner. Like I, it's very deliberate practice. It's not a habit where I read 10 pages a day. It's like deliberate practice. Like, and where do I want to be? Who do I want to be? And what does that person know to be that person? Just as a very quick side note. So what tools do we use financially? Um, so I'll also give a disclaimer. My partner has an accounting degree and did accounting for six months. So he does a lot of that. And that's the, obviously I do a lot of the talking and the sales and he does a lot of the, the money management. The uh, business partner and it sounds like life partner as well. So um, Yes, exactly. But we use, I don't know, like zero, we've got spreadsheets. But to be honest, because the goal is profits and wealth, what we've just, we just onboarded yesterday with this great company. I'm happy to plug them. I don't have any like kickbacks, but um, they're a fractional CFO and they're building us a projection tool so that we can project every little detail of like money in our business. I'm so excited. I'm calling it like our crystal ball of wealth creation in the business so that we know what we want to get paid as dividends from the business. And my biggest concern with building an agency, because this is what most agency owners do is they get more clients, they get more people. They get more clients, they get more people. And the way that they scale is not profitable. And and what a lot of them come to the realization of is that they hit these big months because they've optimized for this ego maybe or like for like the dollar signs for revenue. 
and they go, shit, I've now got 60 or 100 employees. I'm working more and making less than I used to at like, you know, insert figure here. And so we're really interested in freedom and a lifestyle business. And I know exactly how much to make from the business, how much it'll get taxed, how much to come to me. And I know down to the day when I should hit my financial freedom, but this like tool that this, these people are building for us are going to help us go next level. That sounds amazing. And I love the level of precision and planning around it all. Um, that truly does sound amazing. We don't speak to many people that think about it in this way. And I think what's really cool about this is um, you've expressed the deep level of passion for your business, which is super cool. Um, but it's not just a passion project, right? So um, it's very clear that you've got a commercial outcome in mind. Um, how do you balance the ego not seeping in? And, and so there's the decisions that are right for the business and then there's the decisions that are right for you. And ideally, you want them to be aligned all the time. But as you know, like life sort of, gives different pressures along the way and different things happen. How do you check yourself and keep yourself uh, aligned? Mm. I, I do believe that the business should serve you and that is always it. And because I've, I've worked with so many business owners, I've seen so many of them hate their business and hate the thing they've built and we call them the golden handcuffs and they've built these businesses that they hate. They hate their employees. Like they'll talk shit about them behind their back. They hate the market they serve. They hate it and it's so bizarre to me. And so when in our first year of business, we did um, half a million, which is like pretty good for two freelancers sticky tape together. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we were working like 14-hour days and we looked fat and sick and like we were so burnt out. And so for us, it's like we had to take a step back and we were like, okay, why did we start this? Like what is the metric that we're optimizing for? It's freedom. And so, you know, I don't know if this is going to like answer well with the ego, because I think that's such a dense topic that we could get into, but um, I guess it's just more of a, a value set that you have to have with, within yourself on the ego of, I don't want to be right. I want to be the best. And I tell that to my team and I hire smart people to come in and I, and I want to help them be their best selves. And um, I don't want to try and get one up on somebody. I don't want to try and like trick people into doing business with me. I believe that the best offers come from where both parties get equal perceived value. And I just believe that good businesses come from the more value you provide to the world. And so all I'm trying to figure out all the time is how do I give more value? Because I'll be compensated fairly for that value that I bring into the world. So of course I always have issues with ego, like but I, I just try and catch myself in that in that minute. I'm like, why the F are you thinking that? Like, that is so, like, why did that trigger in your brain? Like, shut that shit down right now. Yeah. Of no, course I, I do. I'm, I'm human. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, awesome. Well, we're about to dive into the business. I don't know I've been saying that for a little while, but we just keep finding gems along the way. So I appreciate you uh, sharing uh, so candidly and openly. It's really, they're really valuable learnings. Um, so, to transition into the business, you mentioned you started as a, as a side hustle. Um, you mentioned that, was was that side hustle at a point where it replaced your uh, day job income and then you made the switch? Yeah. Yep. So it would have been making 10K or more and I would have, and, and we started this during lockdown. So I think it was still lockdown at this point. And I have an addictive personality. Luckily mine's work and not heroin. So I just like, <laughs> I don't have a problem with like working. Like I'll do it. It's like, 
You know those like toys that Labradors play with and it throws the ball at them automatically and then the Labrador dies? That's me. Like unless you turn my computer off, I'll just keep going until I until uh, I die, I, I guess. I have a, a similar sort of addiction, so <laughs> I, I completely get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, and uh, but, but, but really what happened was with this side hustle, yes, it was replacing it, but we were just making excuses. Oh, okay, well, when this happens now, okay, well, when this happens now, and, and literally we were at breakfast and we were like, what the F are we doing? Let's just, if we can't figure this out, we're highly employable. We'll go back to a job. Somebody will take us. And, um, yeah, that was really the trigger. Okay, let's get into the business now. So persuasion experience. Uh, so you mentioned before you used a uh, really obvious name for it. Was it an early iteration for the business or a different business altogether? Uh, it's like a different. So Ecom Email Experts does Ecom emails for e-commerce companies. And now persuasion experience, I would say, over the last two years has gone through different evolutions and iterations to find the right market and to find the right offer that we're going to present. And and we're here. This is a good time to have the podcast because I'm we're awesome. in the right vehicle. We're here now. Great. Well, um, so why call it persuasion experience? Where did the name come from to start with? So we study a lot of Dan Kennedy and a lot of Jay Abraham. And I always have, even before being entrepreneurial, so like that's that's in our brains. And we wanted a name that would stand out and we didn't want to be another agency bro. Like, oh, digital marketing experts. Like, okay, cool. So we wanted something that was going to catch attention. And you can see that reflected in how we've created the website and a lot of our marketing collateral as well. And we also just happen to have this long-term vision. And I don't even know how because we weren't that smart two years ago, but we had this long-term vision of um, persuasion experience, which we call PX, becoming a modality in marketing over over like time as we create more awareness. Because um, So you think of like UX, user experience, PX. And what we find that in marketing, like funnels and landing pages and offers and this post-click experience and persuasion is overlooked completely. And so it was just part of our mission that we knew. And so, yeah, it's um, there's not really a formula. And to be honest, my, my name that I threw into the ring early on was Funnels with a PH. And I had this really cool graffiti, um, graffiti in mind. And my partner came up with the name Persuasion Experience. And it's stuck ever since. And it, yeah, it seems to be a, a good name. Hard to spell. Lots of lots of words. <laughs> Funnels could have had a few interesting plays in, on on the word, but um, yeah, I think I, I like persuasion experience for what it's worth. Um, and, it, and I think it talks to the um, to the to the part around sales uh, and helping people sell. Um, I was doing a little bit of reading before this on the business and uh, on your LinkedIn profile as well, and I saw that. Um, you had three questions to work out if you've got a messaging problem. Um, mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing with us, uh, for everyone else that hasn't read about this yet, um, how did you come about those three questions and and why did you why did you decide to come up with them? So, okay, the messaging problem. Quick, quick backstory. I've just worked with so many businesses, at least 600 that I've coached and consulted with over a thousand easily. Like I don't even keep track anymore on uh, one day maybe, but it's easily over a thousand. And so what I started to realize was in these companies, because I'm, I'm, I'm doing their onboarding and I'm talking to different team members, the CEO would describe the company in one way, the sales team in another, customer support in another, and internally in the companies, it wasn't congruent about what they did. And so I thought, well, how's your target market going to understand that? And really, I don't know, this is um, 
not the most fascinating origin story brainchild, but it was like, hey, go and ask five people in your company, what do we do? Who do we do it for? And what's the result? And if you get five different answers, wow, wow that's not good. <laughs> and you need to have you need to have the messaging. And so when we um, help our clients with messaging, it's not like this big twenty thousand dollar exercise. You can do it in like in like a brainstorm and just get just lock it in minimum viably, right? But it's just what we do, who we do it for, the problem it solves, and the dream outcome or the result it provides, and then get everybody on the same page. It can evolve over time, but you need to get everybody on the same page. I think it's amazing. And and as part of that exercise, do you go and speak to their clients as well? Do they go and speak to their clients as well? Yes. So when we're working with our clients, we run something called an NPS survey, which I'm happy to get into. NPS meaning net promoter score. Typically when somebody runs that survey, it's just one question and then a scale of zero to 10, what would you score the company? But we kind of do it on steroids and then we ethically bribe people like their audience or their customers to respond. And the reason that- Sorry to of an ethical bribe. (laughs) Oh, like- respond to this and get a and I get a hundred dollar visa gift card or go into the drawer to win something like it's it's just an offer right what's going to persuade and motivate someone to take action um the other way that you've got to position it is that you're genuinely asking for their opinion to to take better action so there's like ways that you phrase it and you position the ask as well and so yeah we run that survey we usually get hundreds of responses depending on their customer list size and then we distill all of that data into a report and why do we do that? Because I want to understand why people buy and then I can clone and replicate the process. And it puts marketing on easy mode, but what most companies don't do is they do they just do no research. They don't talk to their target market. They have none of these feedback loops. And, and it's interesting, right? Because when you're creating marketing, you want to talk in the language of your customers. You've got to like you got to enter the bullseye, the conversation going on in their head. And then how they do their marketing instead is that they sit around a boardroom arguing about stupid words that mean nothing and not focusing actually on the most important thing. And that's the target market and the problem you solve for them and how you're going to position yourself as a vehicle to get them out of their crappy before state into that dream outcome. That's it. We don't sell a product or a service. We just sell entry. We're just selling a ticket into this desired after state. And most people haven't figured out that core question, what am I really selling? And I think if people like took a second to reflect on that, like I don't sell funnels. Nobody wants a bloody funnel. No one wakes up one day and wants a funnel and some ads. What I'm really selling is a predictable, consistent way to get leads and grow your business. And so you've got to start thinking, what am I really selling? You could probably take that a step further. And it's like, what does growing the business mean for the business owner you're selling to as well? Exactly. It probably plays into your value proposition. Um, we like to use the uh, jobs to be done framework. So yep. the job to be done uh, for that for that person, uh, so from a human perspective, uh, I'm not sure if you've come across the framework, but uh, when it was in, there was a um, a Harvard University professor that came up with the framework. Uh, he was engaged by McDonald to work out what is the um, job to be done by a milkshake, and uh, you could look this up um, to understand what went on in the experiment. But effectively, the outcome was is that McDonald's wanted to increase sales of milkshakes. They found that milkshakes were sold at most in the morning. Uh, it was people going through drive-through on the way to work, and they're trying to work out, you know, what is why do people buy milkshakes? And um, the outcome of that was actually people loved holding the milkshake in their hand uh, because it kept mm-hmm. them busy while they're stuck in traffic. So it was mm-hmm. like a, something to distract them. And uh, once they realized that, they changed the whole messaging and the sales went up. So 
I think it's really powerful to get into the psyche of the customer, as you say. Um, are there any tips or, or or frameworks you can share with us through this discussion as to, you know, what are the right way to frame your questions when speaking to customers? The right way to frame your questions when speaking to a customer, it's just clarity. Just keep it stupid simple when you're asking. But then there's ways to supplement that information as well. And, and we call it like the reading mind method, our rapid research reading mind method. So one part of that is the surveys. The next part of that is like having feedback loops with your client or or target market facing teams like sales teams and customer support and account managers. But the third way, it's like you can read their journal. And that is to go online where they're hanging out, talking about their problems and go and read about it. And I kid you not, Amazon Books, YouTube, the second biggest search engine in the world, go and look at what keywords are trending, what are the top performing organic, what are the comments in there, go to Reddit, go to Quora, read the reviews on your testimonials, read the reviews on your competitors. You can use AI to speed all of this up. But, you know, you can ask ask good questions, get good answers, but your marketing's just inputs and outputs, right? And so if you don't have this right with your target market, garbage in, garbage out. And so why do we do this? Why do we do research? So that we put the right inputs into our marketing for it to actually work. So yeah, I, I, I answered the question how I wanted. Just ask good questions framed well. Google it. Like just Google how to ask good survey questions and that would come up. One of my personal favorites is how would you explain um, company to a friend or colleague? And that just, then that's your marketing done. Now you know. Now you know how to explain it. Or you see that there's a big mismatch in how your customers perceive you. So um, and rant, that's research. Next question. <laughs> no, I think it's really important. I mean, a lot of these things can seem really obvious. Um, and a lot of the time the answer is obvious once you get once you break it down into its um, components, the, the problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, but getting there, as you say, is, is hard. it's hard for people to get clarity, particularly when a business owner has so many things they're worried about. As you say, it's easier to sit in the boardroom and come up with the, uh, the words and think about, okay, if I say a word in that way versus the other way, or if I replace the synonym, is that going to increase conversion? A lot of the time, like none of that's going to change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, maybe um, something I'm really curious about and uh, would love to hear your experience in working with clients recently. So, um, you know, the market's not been the best market for businesses in the last 12 to 24 months. Uh, we've had inflation, interest rate rises, uh, people really tightening spend. Um, how have you seen that change the way people approach marketing? And particularly when it comes to if they had a reliance on paid strategies before, how are you helping clients move to something that's more either word of mouth or partnership driven or, or some other channel that maybe uh, most people wouldn't be thinking of right now? Mm. This doesn't happen with my clients because I'm pretty good at bringing on the right clients and we're pretty boutique. But what I know with like a lot of my other agency pals is that their clients are cutting marketing and sales. They're, the they're cutting back. <laughs> no, no, we're not agency bros. We're agency pals. And yeah. uh, and they have clients that are cutting back marketing and sales, which is dumb. And then they run into the problem of, oh, we've, we're not getting any leads or money. Yeah, because you cut the thing that made all the money. Um, <laughs> so don't do that. But what am I seeing for my for my clients? It's just like, yeah, the environmental factors, you can't control them, but you can use them to your advantage. And I just think just stop watching the news and you'd be 
less scared about what's happening in the world. This happens every like X amount of years. And there's plenty of books about how people have made their millions during during these times. And so my recommendation is don't watch Channel 7 News. Um, and number two, think logically and like strategically and creatively. Use your imagination. How can you best serve your market? That's always the question it comes back to. And so maybe you have to shift that. Um, sorry, maybe like what you were selling previously and how you were doing it doesn't fit in the current climate. And you'll only know that from research and talking to your customers. In terms of like, what are we specifically doing for our clients? It's business as usual because that same strategic thinking and that those same elements of how we run marketing, we're aware of the environmental factors and it's just a another a new rule or a new thing that comes into the game. But we know how to play the game because we can think strategically. So we just adapt to that. It, it doesn't matter. Like it just doesn't matter. And I know some businesses and some industries, it does matter more. So I'm probably seeming very blasé, but I just think that there's a lot of fear yeah. and there doesn't necessarily need to be. I think the important part there is there's always an opportunity to do something differently or, or better and improve on what you're doing. And, and if you look hard enough, you'll find the way forward. But maybe what would be helpful to help contextualize the answer is what are the types of clients you serve? So you mentioned you're quite selective of your clients. Uh, do they yeah. come from a set of industries that have a certain profile? Yes. So when we do, uh, and this is this is a question that you had earlier, didn't really answer, but around channel okay. selection. So <laughs> I can t I can talk about that now. In terms of channel selection, we always break it out down into three components: inbound, outbound, strategic partnerships. And one of the biggest things ever since we started that we knew was very important to do was to build our authority in the market because you're either an authority or a commodity, and to like build your authority in a market that's going to help all of these other channels. So one thing that I see wrong with a lot of businesses is that they think paid media is just going to fix them and help them. So one of the things I'm selective about is when I bring on a client is, well, do they expect Facebook ads to save them or have they done other marketing? Have they got I don't know, like YouTube? Have they got um, a presence? Are they doing podcasts? Because it doesn't work in isolation. It's it's an ecosystem, not just turn on ads and and work for me. And I've worked with enough clients like that that think that just turning on ads entitles them to making money and building a good business. That's not the way that it works. So the clients that we work with, and when you're in an agency, you can work with small businesses and help them to grow. You can go after enterprise. And then there's a couple of things in the middle. And so while we've worked with clients like Linktree and Kogan and some other billion dollar brands, and we can help them really our sweet spot or what we would call like a whale, which doesn't mean enterprise. It's just who's our dream client. They're ambitious. They want to scale. They're smart business owners. We usually work directly with the business owner. They have something working. So it's not like, oh, help me figure out my business because marketing is not a business. Marketing is taking the thing that's good, the product or the service, and putting it in front of the right people. That's another misconception. People go to agencies to save their business, so we don't take on those. But they're usually hitting around that close to your seven-figure mark or more, like way more, and they're stuck. Yep. They can't figure out how to scale. And that's because usually their landing pages and funnels and offers are really horribly shit and the economics don't stack up in the back end. So they can't figure out how to scale the company and that's when we come in. So yes, we run traffic, but your traffic is worthless unless it converts. And all of these businesses are very brainwashed to believe more ads, more ads, more traffic, do more stuff. Yeah. But what we find with a lot of our clients is we can actually make them more money without spending a cent more on advertising. 
and then we can scale it. And that's with that post-click experience. Awesome. That's really cool. And um, and it's consistent with what we've seen uh, through our own experiments as well, is that sometimes you need to go slow to go fast. Um, yes. And going slow might mean just reassessing everything, but throwing more money down the marketing channel doesn't necessarily uh, improve um, your experience. Um, these have been some really interesting and awesome discussion points. So thank you for sharing again. But um, when it comes to working with your clients and you're working through um, the different channels to work with them, so you mentioned strategic partnerships before. Where do you guys specialize? Do you specialize in the strategic partner side, the inbound side, or the outbound side? As an agency for our clients, we are paid acquisition only. That's it. That's what we do. The benefit of working with me is that you get heaps of unsolicited advice. And so <laughs> I work with- Such as I, this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, well, I can't help myself. Um, this is wrong. We can, are you open to me telling you what to do? Because I, I want the business to succeed. Like I want to be on the winning team. And so we work every 90 days and I help our clients to build out I guess like as much or as little input as they want, their marketing plan. And so there's inbound, you need to be doing content. Your inbound is like your paid acquisition. There's other things. You have your email channel. You have outbound. That can be cold email, which we used a lot in our second year. Um, we were really good at it, luckily, because otherwise we probably wouldn't be where we are today. There's DMs, that sort of stuff. But another really big way that we grew was through strategic partnerships. And so especially when you're just getting started, right, or if you want to scale, it doesn't matter. Um, you just think, who has my dream client, my dream customer before and after me? And then they've already spent the time and the money and the resources to build the trust or to like build the attention and then go tap into it. So in our first year, I just went on so many podcasts and we just made, that's how we got all our clients. Like we've never run ads for ourselves. We don't, we don't need to. And then some people are like, oh, you're an agency that doesn't run ads. Yeah. Cause I don't need to, I know my economics, like I've cracked the other channels and I'm not trying to scale like ads are for scaling, not for desperation. Yeah. That's a really important learning. And um, I was going to ask how do people find you, but I think you've, you've shared that now. <laughs> um, but that's, actually a really uh, important point around you mentioned a lot of the clients by the time they get to you and can work with you they're already in that six to seven figure range but mm. um, a lot of the people that will be listening today like might want to just be get started or then maybe they're in the middle of, of running their business and they, they're not making that six to seven figure because that's a small majority a small part of like the business segment make that much money a lot of them don't make that mm. much what are some and, and also you mentioned like inbound, outbound, uh, strategic partnerships. That's a lot for the everyday business owner to think about, particularly if it's just them. And so mm. around 89% uh, of Australian businesses have zero to four employees. 66% of them have no employees at all. Um, mm -hmm. What can they do? Because they can't be across everything. So I guess is, is the advice that you have to be across everything? Or how do you work out which of these channels you should be investing your time into to start growing or start, mm. as you say, not even scaling, just running the business. Yeah. And even though like I work with big clients and big companies, but my own business, I'm not a big team. We have like four employees and then contractors and I'm really good at systems. Like, yeah. cause I've, I've built these teams, King Kong founder, like I know how to do this and I'm learning business as I go. But um, okay. How can we think about this? So it always just comes back down to the goal. What's your revenue goal? And then you reverse engineer it 
and like you break it down. We break it down into weeks in what we call like a traffic light spreadsheet and we monitor it every week. So we do yearly and quarterly planning. And then what we do is we think about, okay, what's going to be out? Like, what do we need to focus on? What are the KPIs that show us that we are winning? And what are the weekly winning behaviors that we need to do to hit that goal? So then we break it down into our own system, which is this AACA framework. There's attract. So that's our lead generation activities, our content machine. How do we get attention and how do we turn it into a lead? Then there's convert. That's our sales choreography. How do we convert leads into sales? And then there's ascend. How do we 2x, 5x, 10x the lifetime value of our customers? And then there is authority. So what are we doing to become an authority in the market? And that's like the foundation of those other three pillars. So I'm, this is going to be a long answer because it's not an easy no, thing to like. Where, where uh, do you focus? A really, a really good. It's a really good overview. Okay. So I'm, I'm purposely not okay. interrupting. So uh, please continue. <laughs> I'll continue the monologue. And I and I like to tell people how I think about things because what I think is wrong with a lot of people who are who are like educating or doing YouTube or whatever is they tell you how to do it but not how to think. And and it's just like you know the um the environment changes. If you only know how to do it and not how to think you're effed, right? So this is why I'm teaching how to think. So you go through those and then I know by looking at this, well, what do I need to do? I work out all of my economics for leads. So I work out what I have spreadsheets for this and we do this in our coaching programs and our products, but I put in how much do I want to make by the next quarter? Like what do I want my revenue to be? It tells me how many clients I need. And then I know all of my touch points in my sales process. I know my show up rate. I know my MQL to SQL. I know how many props I'll send out and I know my close rate. And then I know exactly how many leads I need. And then I just look at the channels and I think, okay, well, which channels are going to suit my goals? Um, and when I'm thinking about lead generation channels, this is important. There's harvesting for now and planting seeds for later. Most businesses are obsessed with harvesting for now. With that scarcity mindset again, it's like yeah, I need to yeah. solve for now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want in-market leads right now, like Google ads, like I want people looking, blah, blah, blah. The problem is people go through a buyer's journey and they go through it whether you hold your hand or not. And so I'm not building my business just to be around for three months at a time, but that's how people are acting in their business. Just this very like month to month, more leads, more leads. So you need to have a balance of the two. How do you harvest seeds for now? How do you get people who are ready now? The ways that we do that is there's quick win activities. So you can you can email all of your past dead leads. You can go and do that now. Send them this nine nine letter, nine um word email. Hey name, are you still interested in blah thing you do? Go send that to all of your dead leads. You'll build pipeline, trust me. You can get referrals and um then it's either you need to do cold or ads if you want a predictable machine with the economics, or you need to get on content. You just need to figure out like how can you harvest people in market for now? But then how do you build pipeline for later? Well, that's like where we do a lot of our authority building. Uh, we go on podcasts. We do a lot of content as well. And that is compounding and growing. And eventually like those assets that we're building will will bring in all of our leads and all of our money. And for now, I just have a blend of that. So classic marketer answer, it depends, right? But that's how we think about it. And and then you just make sure that you stick to the bloody game plan. Like the, the thing that you set and your weekly activities, s- stick to it, measure it every Monday and and be held accountable. I love 
the answer you've given. Um, so don't worry about the length. I think there's lots of value to unpack for anyone listening right now. Um, and these are lessons that I wish I had actually earlier on in our journey. I mean, a lot of people go through this and learn this the hard way as well. Um, I was going to ask you about how do you build authority, but you've addressed that, which is awesome. Uh, so I think that's, that's again, uh, super impressed by, by the, um, for the frameworks you've put in place. You've got this down to the science, which is really cool. And um, I think a lot of people will get a lot of value out of just thinking about how do they industrialize the process or the machine behind their business that allow them to, and, and as you say, like you don't want to scale, right? You're, you've got a very clear North Star, which is like, you don't want to build a business that's going to require to have 20 people or 30 people because then that's going to impact your freedom. Uh, and it sounds like it's very, you've, you've built it to achieve the North Star, which I think is, is awesome. Um, so, uh, if I can summarize like just our discussion, because we're, we're getting close to time on this. Um, you've been on this journey from what I would say from little things, right? Uh, which is the whole reason why we call it little things podcast. You've, um, you've made an early life call to, to not pursue the traditional safe path of maybe dentistry, which I'm sure would have set you up for a financially rewarding profession. Um, discovered business, discovered, leaned into sales, learned that you loved it, taught yourself stuff, learned a whole bunch of stuff, which is learned, learned which is, uh, led you to this business that you're super passionate about and have a super clear north star. To wrap up the discussion, what, are, what do you think of your three top learnings personally that have got you to where you are today? Mm, my three top learnings. Um, this will summarize what you just said, but know what you want yeah. and get really visceral on it. And it's funny because I'm like, I've, I've thought previously, like whenever I know what I want, I always figure out how to get it. And so the, like, the thing that I've realized is you can bring anything into your life or you can create anything, but the only thing that limits you is your imagination. That's it. And, so, and that's, what I, that's one of the big things that I worked on last year is that I found that I was thinking too small. So I had to surround myself with big thinkers and I started reading more and consuming more because I was like, I, just, I've, I, don't, I, I work for myself. I've already I've unlocked dream life. I was like, what's next? Like, I don't, I can't even, I can't comprehend what I could do from here. So I had to start getting more inspiration in. So know what you want and set a North Star metric for your life. Number two would be you'll get the minimum you will tolerate and you get what you tolerate. And so what I'm always doing is wanting to raise the standards of what I'll tolerate on anything in life, in my accommodation, like what, what I live in, who, I, who I'm around, how I spend my time the kind of food I eat, like anything. It's like, I just want to be constantly raising that bar of what I will tolerate. And then the third is um, probably time passes no matter what. Just if I always, in my thing is like, if I have an idea more than twice that's come into my head, I have to do it. Like yeah. if I, it's like, if, if I have an idea more than twice, the universe is going to give it to somebody else. Like you have to grab it and do it. Um, because if you haven't done this before, go and Google what people regret the most on their deathbeds. They're, like there's like a lot of like studies or anecdotal summaries. And so I don't want to live a life with regrets. Your time passes no matter what. Do the thing that you would regret on your deathbed not doing. Yeah, these are uh, honestly super awesome lessons and learnings. And it just shows you know, how much self-reflection and deep thinking you've done around this and where you want to go. Um, Jeff Bezos uses the regret minimization framework he talks about when you're making life decisions. And 
uh, I myself have been through an exercise where I've written my eulogy and worked back from mm-hmm. like, what, it, what would my life look like when I'm when I'm dead and someone's reading about it or reading it out. Um, these are just awesome learnings. We're nearly at time. I might just fit in one more question. Usually we wrap it up at this point, but um, I mean, a lot of this you make it sound really easy, <laughs> um, but it's totally not. And I know you've probably gone through a lot of challenges. How have you kept yourself motivated and positive? Um, you mentioned time passes no matter what. So how do mm. you? And you've got your your freedom deadline. Let's say it's by a certain age or a certain time. If that starts to push out, like how do you how do you keep yourself motivated and not just revert back to as you say you could just get a job and get paid well enough? So like, what keeps you on the track? Mm. When stuff goes. Um, I think it comes down to mindset. It's like it was hard working in a job. I I, I work bloody hard. I'm I'm what I call employees. Like I'm a bleeder. I will work 14-hour days. I love work and I will, you put me to work and I will build your company, sir, no problemo. Both are hard, choose your hard. So that's that's like one way to go about it. And a lot of it's just reframing. A great book on this is 10X is Better Than 2X. Go and follow anything by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I love it. But every time that I have a problem or a challenge, I just have to reframe it. And I and I am happy that I'm getting the challenge. When I, when I have a hard client that pisses me off, I'm like, no. He's finding flaws in my systems and and I'm going to use this opportunity to make even better systems or, yeah, so it's like it has to be a mindset thing and you have to be happy to have the problems and the challenges. I will never, I, I have the skill set now that I will never work in a job again. I won't need to. I know I could, worst case scenario, do consulting, best case scenario, build a multi-million dollar business that I don't have to work in day to day. And so it's really a mindset thing. If you can reframe yourself to love the hard things and to love challenges and to love problems and to see them as an opportunity to grow. That's, I think, what has has worked for me. Alicia, this is, again, an amazing discussion we've had. I've really loved learning about your journey and thank you for sharing everything. If I wanted to find you or if anyone wanted to find you for your help uh, or engage your services, where could they look? So the best way, if you're more of a DIYer and you're in that earlier stage of business, then I give everything for free. 0.0001% of people will ever work with me in the agency, probably less. And that's okay because part of my mission is that I believe a lot of good businesses fail that can truly help people. And to extend our reach, we give it all for free. Most of it. Some of it you have to pay for. So I have my YouTube. I have my LinkedIn. I have my Instagram all under Alicia Conlon Heard. If you want to take the next step and you want help with lead generation offers, we have a $17 program. It's on our website, persuasionexperience.com under courses. It's a three-hour workshop and I walk you through exactly how to create lead generation offers to turn attention and traffic into high quality leads. It's very good. We've had 600 people go through it. I would be surprised if you didn't get a shit ton of value from it. And then the third way is if you are a business who's trying to scale to that next level, you're very ambitious, but you can't figure out how to get this marketing machine to the next level, same, go to the website, book in a a call with me, no sales bros, promise, and um, I'll see if I can help you. If not, heaps of unsolicited advice, promise. Amazing. Thank you so much. Alicia, wishing you all the best for the next step of your journey. No doubt you're going to do some amazing things and looking forward to keeping in touch. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Sharon. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much. From Little Things is brought to you by Papera, the all-in-one solution that makes business easy for Aussie sole traders, company directors, and small business owners. 
You can learn more and get started for free at Parpera.com. From Little Things is part of the Sonic Boom network of podcasts. To get your brand started on its own podcast, visit sonicboom.vc.